So, Paulette, answer me this. Tough or bluff? What do you think? 12% of U.S. psychotherapists have never been to therapy themselves. So what do you think? 12% of psychotherapists in the United, in the United States have never been to therapy themselves. Is that tough or bluff? It seems like there would be more who hadn't gone. Unless you're like kind of therapy happy because that's your whole world. Okay. So you think it would be more than 12% had never been to therapy Yeah, themselves. I would think. Because okay. I think you're also going to get the other side of that. That's the ego that says like, well, I'm the psychotherapist, so I don't need psychotherapy. Right. Well, it is tough. 12%. Damn. So some, you know, it's interesting. I posted this on Facebook the other day. And there were people that said, wait, I thought it was a required thing in graduate school, so shouldn't it be much less than 12%? And then there were people like you that were saying, oh, it's probably more than 12% because I bet you there's a lot of therapists that think they don't need it or something. But it is. It's 12%. So that means – and we're talking about all types of psychotherapists. We're talking about psychiatrists, psychologists, marriage and family therapists, counselors, this kind of thing. And we're also talking about therapists of all ages. We're talking about novice therapists all the way to people that have been in the field for 40 years. And even when we include all those people, we still have about 12% that have never been to therapy. Now, the people on Facebook that are therapists were really quite worried that this was true because the idea is, is that in order to be a therapist, you have to go to therapy. And, and there's mixed sort of philosophies about this, but in, generally in my field in marriage and family therapy, it, it's a must, and it is a requirement in my program. And, and really, it should be something that therapists do ongoing. The idea that, that you don't need therapy is potentially narcissistic, egotistical, and unaware of the issues that are going to be touched upon by clients. Because believe me, as a therapist and as a supervisor, when you're a therapist, there is a, pretty much any corner of your psyche will get perturbed. You know what I mean? Hmm, that's interesting. Do you think that there should be more of a kind of a positive psychology habit of people going to see a therapist and just, I mean, I think there should be more low level therapy in our, in our culture. Yeah. Those kinds of clients are really like working with low level psychotherapy where there isn't an emergency. There isn't a severe mental illness. Perhaps they were too angry the other night with their spouse or they just got divorced or they're, they're thinking about having kids or these kinds of things are not emergencies, but things that might have to do with your history, your childhood, your issues, your perspective on life. I, I have, I've, I've had a number of clients who have come to me just to, just to talk about life, just mm-hmm. to explore what is good in life. And it's a different kind of therapy. And it sounds like it could be really easy because it's just like, well, you just explore. But actually, it can be really quite hard Mm -hmm. because the person's personality really becomes a part of the therapy and your personality as a therapist becomes a part. It's hard to explain. But at any rate, yeah, I agree. Therapists should be in therapy all the time for support, (laughs) (laughs) for... I've been in therapy off and on throughout my career, and I definitely needed it and learned a lot. I found that it's made me a better friend when I'm like, I really need to just have someone sit in a room and listen to me right now for like an hour. And when you feel like it's too much for your friends, like I'm really taking more time and energy than I'm 
you know, than my other friends are. And like, I'm having a hard time. I have to talk to someone that, you know, is paid to just listen, you know, so then you don't feel bad about talking about your own issues or your own problems. Yeah. Two reactions to that. One is I completely can relate to that. The first time I went to therapy was primarily because of that. I had a lot of things I wanted to talk about and I perceived I was wearing out my friend's ears. And so I decided to pay someone to listen to me. Uh, But I also will say to people when they say what you just said, that it's frequently a paranoia that people have. Like, oh, I'm probably burdening my friends with all my stuff. Usually people don't feel that way. People want to help. They want to listen. They want to be involved. I lived with my best friend right after my dad died. And like two months after we went to college together and moved in together. And going through that, I really, I mean, at the time I was obviously very centered in my own grief, which is totally fine. But looking back on it, I'm like, that must have been really hard for my friends, you know? So I think I have an over sensitivity to that. But it is interesting. I mean, I think that like, you know, I love evolutionary psychology and they talk about the zero sum game where it's both parties should be getting as much out of it as the other should be mutually beneficial, you know? Mm. And my friends tend to have their stuff together. My two best friends, like they're like killing it, doing great. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, you know, the crazy writer friend that's just like, oh God, you know? (laughs) Well, I bet you your friends like to listen to you and be there for you. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's, it's pretty infrequent that I'll, when I say this to someone that they'll say, well, actually my friends have been telling me how annoying I am. Usually they, when I ask them, have your friends indicated at all that they don't appreciate listening to you? And they'll say, no, I, I think I'm just a little worried about it. Mm. Not that, you know, that does it, not that that means you shouldn't go to therapy as well, but I'm, I just think we generally have, maybe it's an American independence thing. It's like you shouldn't depend on other people, you, you know, figure your stuff out or I don't know. But anyway, this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. My name is Paulette Perhatch. I'm a writer around Seattle. I uh, am the head of the Writer's Welcome Kit, <laughs> a new e-course that I'm starting. Well, I'm excited about that. Other than that, I've been doing freelance writing. It's hard to introduce myself right now because my life is so crazy. It is. You have an interesting life. <laughs> Writers have interesting lives, I think. that's. It's kind of, well, it's kind of fun to feel like that's part of your resume. You're like, well, if you're a writer, you have to kind of go, you have to take two more steps out than the average person's willing to take in, you know, emotionally and physically often, you know, I think traveling is so yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Like you were just on a sailboat today. I was on a sailboat today. Where'd you go in the sailboat? We went on Lake Washington and Lake Union and it was amazing. And I was actually having this really weird mental situation. I thought I might talk about tonight. I am reading the book Guantanamo Diary, which is from someone who's in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And it's a barrel of laughs, as you can imagine. No, it's terrible. Um, So that's like really weighing on me. It's like reading The Road by Cormac McCarthy or like something super heavy. But it's real. But it's real. And you're just like, oh my. And it's, you know, it's obviously deeper than depressing. It's like you're reading a book where you and your people are like the bad guy. And it's really hard to read as an American. And um, we're on a sailboat and I'm like, you get to be on a sailboat right now. And there's people like in Guantanamo Bay. And this is what makes me not fun at parties is that I read books like this. And it's like you want to be in touch with it, but you don't want to be a Debbie Downer. And I have a hard time with that. I don't understand that. When I talk about things that interest me that I think are important, and I feel like I have a you know somewhat good gauge on 
what is appropriate socially. But I get that reaction from people sometimes. In fact, you've given me that reaction <laughs> on the podcast. I, you know, I've talked about suicide, for instance, on the podcast. And in my world, it's just another topic we talk about all the time. And so not only in that instance, but, but in several social instances, there are people will say, oh, what well, Debbie Downer. <laughs> and uh, it sucks to be a Debbie. You know what I mean? Maybe, if, I heard a male like, name for it. Debbie Downer. Donald Downer? Doogie Downer? Don, Doogie Downer? <laughs> Doogie Downer. Like, <laughs> something else. Sounds like a number two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it sounds like a porn star name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Doogie Downer. His specialty is. Um, but uh, no, I, I yeah, I, I feel like stuff like this isn't a downer. I mean, the only reason why it's a downer is because you are now being faced with something that you would like to be in denial of, I guess. And it's just like, I feel like I, I don't like being in, den- in denial of reality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, uh, it's so true. But also there was this interesting part of, um, it was at This American Life when This American Life was doing the TV show and they followed this guy who walked around and he was from Iraq and he had a sign that said, ask an Iraqi and just of like a table in the park and he talked to a bunch of americans and at the end he just said you know it's so beautiful here and he said something along the lines of america is one of the only places where you can not be aware of how crappy the world is and he's like you know if i had a chance to just ignore that and live a life where that wasn't a big part of it he's like i might be tempted to do that it was really interesting yeah and i think there are pros and cons to that right i mean the con is obviously lack of awareness. But I think a pro to it is just how optimistic Americans are and how forward thinking they are and how hopeful they are for things. I mean, you know, I, I'm not an expert on this, but, you know, Americans have invented a lot of things in the past hundred years. And some of that has to do with this hopefulness that your hard work will pay off, right? Yeah. And think about all the millions of people that tried to invent something and, and had this optimism and the thing flopped and um you need all those people in order to produce that one in a million invention you know what i mean yeah anyway another another tougher bluff 51 percent of u.s novice therapists so novice therapists in the u.s 51 percent have never been to therapy tougher bluff 51 percent i don't know let me think um so that novice, well, okay, so I think that's tough. Oh, I'm scared, though. Okay. Why are you scared? Because I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. Yeah. Well, if, yeah. You're, if you're wrong, will it be higher or lower? I've never been to therapy. It will be lower. You're right. It's lower. Bluff. Okay. 21%. 21%. So the vast majority of novice therapists, you know, presumably one to five years after mm-hmm. you graduate or something, have never been to therapy. So, so that's, you know, that's pretty good. All right, another tougher bluff along these lines. I have several tougher bluffs along these lines because it, it's all from a study by Orlinsky et al. I actually asked him for his chapter in a book. I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, but anyway, Orlinsky, Orlinsky et al. Had a, has a chapter in a book that I don't know the name of that has to do with personal therapy for therapists. And all these stats are from a study that was published uh, by them in that book. Anyway, 21% of psychotherapists worldwide. So they did the study involved people from around the world from, I don't know, like 30 different countries or something. 20, 21% of therapists worldwide have never been to therapy, have never been to therapy. So you have 12, 12% in the U S have never been to therapy. Do you think that 21% 
worldwide have never been to therapy. 21%. I think that it's higher that have never been to therapy. It's tough. 21%. So, uh, have you been wrong on all? Yeah, I think I've been, been wrong, wrong on, on all, all of them. The benefit Terrible. of only having one co-host on the show is I can actually remember how badly you've been doing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that means that in the U.S., uh, we go to therapy more often than the worldwide average. There are some countries that go to uh, therapy more than the U.S., but, but anyway. I had an interesting conversation with my friend who's, she is the first generation like American and her mom is Polish and she was just talking about therapy just and she was just like it just seems like this thing where you just go and like complain and whatever like she was so not about it you know and then we like really unwrapped it and she just told me that like that's how her mother would feel and like her mom had lived such a hard life in Poland that she was just like they didn't have time to be like how are my feelings doing you know like it was like struggling poverty situations yeah, I hear that a lot too. And, you know, sometimes that is what it is. It, sometimes it is a complete waste of time in which someone is just complaining and getting all of their feelings validated for no benefit to the client or anybody. Certainly that can happen. But uh, the vast majority of the time, in contrast to that, it is not that way. Uh, but I won't go into that because I, I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're not hostile to psychotherapy. Someone that is not hostile to psychotherapy wrote into the podcast. Listener Ronald wrote, wrote in and he asked, is there a test to get how differentiated uh, regarding Bowen? So it's, it's worded a little funny. But anyway, Ronald was asking, is there a test to test how differentiated you are? And differentiated is a Bowenian concept. And I will answer that question very shortly. The answer is yes. You can look it up yourself. Uh, another email here. Listener Mary wrote in and she says, I'm a new clinician and accidentally discovered your podcast when I was searching YouTube for help in my work. I have been listening to more of them and wanted to say thank you. Well, you're welcome, Mary. Your podcast on psychodynamic formulation helped me understand that better, helped me understand that better, and your podcast on trauma helped me understand why two of my clients never came back. Thank you for the work you do. Oh, that's the whole email. Well, so I just read an email about how great we are. But anyway, she was... Um, so she's commenting on how the trauma therapy episode helped her understand why two of her clients never came back because I talked in that episode about how in my early career, I had no idea how to treat trauma because it was never told to me. And in our culture, in counseling and therapy, for whatever reason, how to treat trauma is not taught very... Really? Yeah, hardly ever. Very, very Like, it, it's shocking that such a common thing. Yeah, it's that like, you would go to therapy for. Right. And how few therapists actually know how to treat it. And there are various reasons for that. But in my early career, I was a typical therapist in that way. And for, for instance, let me, let me ask you, Paulette. So you're not a therapist, but, but, but a lot of therapists actually have similar knowledge bases as, as, as lay people, such as yourself. So... If a, if a client sat down in your office and said, you know, I was sexually abused as a child and I would like to talk about it, what would you do? Uh, I would just say, go ahead and talk about it. I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, I would just let them talk about it. I don't know. Right. <laughs> and why would you think that might be helpful? Because they would need to 
express, you know, kind of, I mean, I think that there is so often a link between what you learn from science and academia to like folk knowledge, you know, and like as in folk knowledge, we know, like you have to just get something off your chest, you'll feel better, you know, so I would imagine that that would translate. Right, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That it does translate often does it translate. But when it comes to trauma and specifically PTSD, which is an you know, a frequent condition uh, related to trauma, it's actually counterproductive to say, yes, client, go ahead, talk about your trauma. Hmm. Now, I had a whole episode on this in which you can learn about it, but it it is actually potentially harmful to the client. And, and that's what I would do. A client would sit down, say I was sexually abused, and, and I would like to talk about it. And I would say, okay, go for it. And then they would become so traumatized by the memories that they would become highly symptomatic over the next week and would run away from therapy. And I would mm-hmm. never see them again even though they left my office thanking me for listening. And it was a mystery, and it would happen frequently until I learned basically the, the premises regarding exposure therapy and uh, anxiety management and arousal management and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, so uh, go listen to the trauma therapy episode. Um, the, the short of it is, and tell me what you think, Paula, is essentially until you have ways of reducing your your distress. It is it is traumatic to remember the memories because you have so much distress as a result of remembering that you re-traumatize yourself. Mm-hmm. So until you have the ability to control your distress, which takes a long time to develop those skills, it is uh, almost like self-harm to remember those mem- memories that have been kept at bay for so long. Does that make sense? Crazy. Yeah, I know. I can totally see that. Right. Because it is like reliving the event when you think about it. Right. Now, if it isn't PTSD and it is just something that is a difficult memory, then then yeah, they can talk about it. But the problem is, as a therapist, you never know what the situation is. If you don't know the client very well, they sit down in your office, they say, I want to talk about my sexual abuse. You have no idea if the distress is going to be intolerable for them. Anyway. Um so, Paula, do you have any gripes or questions or anything? So, I do have kind of a gripe question. So, right now, my neighborhood, which has been a traditionally artsy neighborhood, gay neighborhood, and kind of the place where people who don't fit in elsewhere go, has started to become the cool place and or has been the cool place for a while. And so now, it's gotten so popular that a lot of people want to move there and... The culture is shifting from people who are more artsy and tend to be broke and are now it's like more rich people. And I was wondering how that usually affects, like how does gentrification usually affect a culture in a certain place? Because I don't think that it's bad to have money. I think it's fine. But it's interesting that it starts to take the life out of a place, you know? Well, we have to existentially define life, right? Mm -hmm. If life means poor people then yeah, the life is being sucked out of Capitol Hill. But if we define life otherwise, then it gets harder to figure out what's happening when this sort of thing happens. And I'm aware of this of this debate, and I don't have much opinion on it because I don't live on Capitol Hill. I mean, I live in Belltown, which has already been gentrified. So, And I'm a part of the gentrification, frankly. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I worked at a tech company. I work, like I think people label people as like either you're an artist or you're like a tech company. You know, and they people 
kind of stereotype people who work at tech companies. Well, I'm a creative writer working my butt off on that. But I also worked at a tech company for three years where I paid for my grad school, you know, so I don't think that just having money is bad. Right. Well, this is my personal and, you know, this is you're not asking a therapist in this moment. You're just asking a Seattleite what their opinion is. And my opinion is, since I don't live on Capitol Hill and I'm completely not impacted by any of this. So, you know, take that with, you know, consider that when I say the following, that we have a bunch of white people on Capitol Hill that are having their rent go up because a bunch of people who work at Amazon are buying expensive places and driving the prices up. Well, really, the prices all over Seattle are going up. So it's not just Capitol Hill. But that is it in a nutshell. And then you have all these privileged white people that are used to their rents being a certain level. And then 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 they're going up and they have to move. And they're sad about that, which makes total sense to me. But then they start talking about the word gentrification, which traditionally is used for inner city black neighborhoods mm-hmm. being and then white people displacing the black people and the black people having hardship as a result. Now, I'm not a sociologist or I'm not a, I don't know, even know what field this is even in, but uh, so I could be talking out of my ass and I probably am. But the thing that I think should be added, there should be another word for when white privileged people get displaced by more white. And frankly, the ant, people who work for Amazon are not white. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's been the thing. I've noticed an increasing, like, increase in diversity. Here's the thing. Okay, so you talk about, um, you know, there being African-American communities. Well, in Capitol Hill, this doesn't apply to me, but it has traditionally been the gay community, which is an oppressed community. So I think it's about an oppressed community getting broken up. So totally, I am like, just like hetero white chick. That's just like, yeah, shit, my rent just got raised 400. So like, you're totally right there. The thing that is upsetting to me is like the change for the gay community, that there's been an increase in violence. And, you know, it's just... What? There's been a what? There's been an increase in violence against um, against gay people in Capitol Hill. And they're blaming Hill. that on Amazon? No. Oh, what are they blaming but that on? Just the change in the neighborhood that it's gotten more dangerous. I think people have. I think people don't know it's the gay neighborhood, or they just like one person said they were like, "Why are there all these gay bars around here?" And it's like, "Oh my god," you know. I don't know. It's just huh. interesting. I, I wonder- would find it really hard to believe that there are a lot of people that are moving to Seattle and Capitol Hill and don't realize Ca- Capitol Hill is the gay neighborhood. I'd have a hard time, but I don't know. I mean, maybe I that's definitely true. just have you know people's like hearsay people seems rather hearsay-ish and i mean do you know what i mean like again you know it's not my life i'm not i don't live up there and you know what else not moving there but coming in on the weekends you know sure but that's always happened i mean i i mean i maybe it is increasing which is which i probably wouldn't attribute to amazon or 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 prices going up i would attribute it probably to something else but there have been reports of roving bigots committing violence upon gay people on Capitol Hill uh, since I was born. I I remember hearing stories in the 80s of like roaming 10 dudes in a truck from clearly from out of town. Yeah, that's terrible. Finding gay people and and lighting them on fire and stuff, you know, just like terrible things. Yeah. So so it's not like, you know, that's anything new. It's still terrible. But again, to me, I know, you know, I've I've only been witnessing this this hubbub from afar, and I don't work for Amazon, so I don't care about that. I don't live on Capitol Hill, so I don't care about that. Uh, but just from the outside looking in, it just seems like 
related to economics. You, you have people that have their rents go up and they're angry and they want someone to blame. And Amazon is an easy is an easy group to blame. When I, I mean, and I've lived in Seattle my entire life, and we've always been targeting someone with something. In the eighties and nineties, it was people from California. We hated everyone from "Go Home, People from California" because <laughs> there was apparently this this huge exodus from California, L.A. to to Seattle. And we were just like, go home, get out of our neighborhoods. And it's just like, really? like. But I mean, my question is, why does... The Native Americans are the only people that can complain. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I totally get that. Yeah. But just, I don't know. I guess it's just interesting that it kind of seems like the art gets... I think that artists should just try to make more money. You know, like be smarter about it and change yeah. your business model. I think that artists have to say like, we got to pick ourselves up and freaking make it happen, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I sympathize with it. You know, Georgetown has become the new artist place mm -hmm. and that's definitely, I'm guessing still cheap down there. Yeah. Columbia city is kind of a new place that artists will go. And that's from my understanding, still affordable. I mean, there's always affordable places in Seattle. I mean, believe me, I've lived in Seattle my whole life. And when I was in college and thereafter, I didn't make much money and I lived in some pretty crappy places and there's a lot of crappy places to live in in Seattle, <laughs> but you're not going to live in the cool neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, I've never lived on Capitol Hill because I hated the parking situation up there for the most part, but, but also because the places are really expensive up there. Yeah. We got lucky. Yeah. So, but anyway, you know, if I'm talking out of my ass, which I probably am, uh, I mean, to me, I totally sympathize with people's rents going up. And, you know, that brings up another issue of just social justice regarding economics. There, there might be something there. I was actually having this debate with someone else and they were just talking about rent controls and how sometimes that is a good thing to have. You know, the counter argument to that is that it's anti-business, but anyway, so blah, blah, blah. But I have a I have a gripe I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in the gym, do you go to the gym? Okay. Mm -hmm. Do people watch TVs in the gym that you go to? Uh, in the locker room or outside? It, while working out? Uh, yes. Do they have personal TVs or are the TVs like loud, like you can hear them? Uh, personal TVs. Oh, okay. So that's the new kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in my gym in this building, there's there's two TVs that are just in the room. It's a small little gym. Yeah. There are two TVs and people will watch them occasionally. They're not, usually people don't watch them, but sometimes they watch them. If you're on the treadmill or, you know, the Stairmaster or whatever, you have to crank that TV to the max volume yeah. in, order to, in order to hear it. Well, in or, if you can hear it from five, 10 feet away, then everyone can hear it. Uh -huh. uh, and I hate TV. You know, I've lived without cable for a long time. There's something about, I mean, I like certain TV shows, of course, but general TV, do you know what I mean? With the mm -hmm. commercials and the, the loudness and the obnoxiousness of it, like it just really gets me down. And I walk in with my headphones listening to podcasts or music or something, and there I am having to listen to uh, whoever is in there blasting the TV. Am I wrong to gripe about that? Um, no, I think, I think we we're living in a day and age where we are more able to control our personal environment than ever before. Like we can control what we hear, the temperature around us, all these things. So I think that now that we're used to just being like, if I don't want to hear something, I don't have to hear it yeah. or I get to hear whatever I want to hear. That's the 
reality we live in. When you kind of go back to the shared space situation, it's just like, you know, it's uncomfortable. We're just spoiled. You know, it's like why I loved riding in my freaking car instead of riding on the bus because I was traumatized and I lived in the third world and used their buses for two years. And I'm like, I'm getting a freaking car. But it's like the temperature, the radio smells. Well, (laughs) you can control all that. (laughs) Well, let me, well, the the analogy I like to draw when I think of this is imagine I walked into the gym with my boombox and played obnoxious death metal at full volume and everyone had to listen to it. Yeah. Is that polite? Well, no, but it's like they're providing, the gym is providing the TV. Okay, so say the gym provides a, a death metal box. Yeah. And I love death metal. I'm the one, per, believe me, there's not a lot of people that watch TV when I go to the gym. It's just this one guy. Oh, it's and always every the one t- guy. And every time I walk in, I, I, in my old age, I'm just getting really, just really assertive with people in a yeah. way that I never would have been before. And I just walk in and I go, can I turn this down? Is that okay? And and I think he doesn't like me, but I'm just like fuck it, I don't care because I I literally can't hear my podcast because because yeah. the TV is Ugh. so loud. Now this is interesting because everyone I've talked to, including you, don't really understand my analogy of walking in with death metal and playing it on a on a boombox. And my hypothesis is is because we're so used to TVs. Like, well, mm-hmm. t- people have a right to watch TVs. You don't have a right to, to blast death metal that you don't have a right. You totally have a right to watch TVs because TVs are ubiquitous in America. All right. Society. Here's what I think. A higher percentage of the population likes TV than likes death metal. So you are in the minority that you don't watch TV and not even like there's things that I don't like. And if I've been away from TV for a while, when I turn it on again, I'm just like, Oh my God, it's so obnoxious. It totally is. Right. But people don't, people who watch TV and the average American watches five hours of TV a day. Yeah. So people are used to it now. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I hate TV a lot too. Interesting. Well, maybe that makes sense. So I have some more gym related uh, gripes and then okay. we'll get back to some tougher bluffs. But anyway, uh, the other thing is, is that when, have, have you ever been at the gym and someone farts or have you ever farted at the gym? <laughs> I have never farted at the gym. I've been doing yoga for like years and I can't believe I go with a friend and I'm like, if I ever fart in gym like, or in yoga, that's like the end of our friendship. Like she won't be able to handle it because <laughs> she's so socially awkward. She'd be like, so I'm like, okay, if I do that, I lose a friend. Um, what do you mean? She told you that or no just like she's such a so she's such a socially like anxious person that she well, but, wouldn't be able well, to look but me this, in the eye this sort of uh, you know causes me to ask more questions which is were you in yoga with her at one time had to fart and said I shouldn't fart because she, I'm going to lose her as a friend. Is that- <laughs> no, I would. If I could choose whether or not I fart in yoga, I would not fart in yoga. <laughs> like if there's ever a time where I'm like, oh, I need to fart, but I won't. It's oh god, yeah. That's probably the best thing about working from home. It's like you can fart. If you have to fart at work, it's like a ten step process. Yeah, you're like, oh god, like, okay, should I go to the bathroom? There's just those terrible stalls in there. You walk in, someone's in a stall, not making noise. You're like, okay, they're obviously pooping. Now I have to walk out of here. Like pretend you wash your hands then bail out and then you're like going like oh i wonder if my boss is in his office <laughs> you're like just kidding um they should have a fart room at work <laughs> like a crying baby it's like the breastfeeding slash fart room yeah. that should be the same room workplace, the same room <laughs> sorry working moms i'm just kidding <laughs> You chose to have a baby. It's, it's your own <laughs> Get fault. In the fart room. It's your own fault. Maybe they need to breastfeed or pump and fart at the same time. Right. Perfect room. Right. How, how would you know? Maybe the baby <laughs> farted. No one knows. Yeah. So, so well, I was in the gym the other day and it's just me and another woman. Oh, just, God. So it's just, just two people. Yeah. And a massive fart bomb. <laughs> 
goes off. And and it is hard to breathe. Oh my god! And I and I and all I could think of was like, you realize I know it's you, you know, and you're not, you know, and you could have left the room. Or, and then like uh, like ten, fifteen minutes later, another bomb. Whoa! Goes off. I would have bailed out of there if I were her. I would have faked a seizure. So now, whenever I see her in my building, I just <laughs> I just think fart girl. One guy farted in a like gym class doing sit ups, and he handled it pretty well. He was like, oops. Like, made kind of a joke about it, but then he just became the guy who farted. Like, he was completely a two-dimensional character to me. So once he let that cat out of the bag, so to speak, he said, well, screw it. I'm already the fart guy. I'm just going to let it go whenever. <laughs> no. Or no, just that one fart. Just that one fart. Or just that one fart. Just that one fart and that just label Just that one sim. fart. Wow. Yeah. Um, the other thing, let me ask you another question. Okay, so I walk into the gym and there's this other guy, not TV guy. Oh, actually, this guy is also sort of a TV guy, but he's not as much as the other TV guy. But this other guy is BO guy. Oh, God. Whenever I... So again, this is... It's not a huge room. It's not a small room, but it's a room big enough, uh, small enough that this guy's BO completely fills the gym. And when I walk in, every time he's in there, when I walk in, it's just instant, like... Oh my God, just like a, a wall of BO just hits me in the face. And it just makes you so, I mean, it's hard because there are differences in beliefs. Some people don't believe you need to shower that much and Americans probably shower too much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's just like, when you just don't want to smell that, you're like, I don't, I don't want to smell your BO. Oh man. So, so, so what I do is again, cause I'm old now at 44 before I would have just, I don't know, done something else. But, but now what I do is I make a big production out of it and I open it. I go, Oh, and again, he's the only one in there. And now I just, cause it happened like four five, six times or something. And by the, you know, sixth time I was just like kind of frustrated and just thinking like, does this, doesn't someone tell him like, Whoa, you got some serious funk. You know what I mean? This leads me to talk about my business idea, which is the honesty factory where you just go in. Like, let's say you're like, can't get a date and you just go in and you're just like, all right, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and there's like a like different packet. They can be like, well, we're going to give you the physical packet. We're going to take a look at you and tell you what's up. Or they'll be like, well, you look pretty normal. We're going to have to do the getting to know you packet. Go out and see what your social skills are. And then it can be for things like for old ladies with like any like weird hairs on your face. <laughs> like you just go and you're like, is there anything I didn't know about about my face. Because sometimes someone needs to know something. Have you written about this, The Honesty Factory? <laughs> that is your next online right. article, man. <laughs> the, honesty, the Honesty Factory? That is perfect. The hair, the random old person ear hair, the B.O. gym guy, the uh, bad breath woman. Uh, what else? The, I also uh, have an the app. close talker. Close oh, talkers. God. I have an app called, uh, app idea called the uh, Jerk Alert, where it's like a social thing that's geofence. So let's say that you're in a club and you see some guy to your right, like texting during a show, just texting, 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 or in some other way being an a-hole. You open up the Jerk Alert app and if he is signed up for it, you'll be like, it'll be like, here's all the people around you. And you select his picture and you send him a Jerk Alert. Anonymously, a Jerk Alert oh. pops up on his phone where That's it's like, funny. you're being a jerk right now. Right. That's funny because I had a similar idea years ago before they had smartphones. The idea I had was, and this is before, you know, screens on phones, but I thought you would point something at someone, <laughs> you know, and like in the car too, it just, you just point at a car 
and then you can send like a message like because the thing about driving that's really bothersome is you really only have two ways of communicating maybe three ways of communicating between cars you can honk you can honk loudly or not loudly but you can honk long or short you can beep beep or you can flip someone off and maybe you can wave but the wave sometimes people think that's aggressive sometimes you're being nice and there's a lot of subtlety sometimes in the way you need to communicate with someone Mm -hmm. you know like thanks for letting me in or thanks for letting me in. You know what I mean? There's lots of different things. But anyway, so this guy, the BO, I walk into the gym and I make this big production out of it. And I'm like, oh, and I open the door and I prop it open and I kind of do, you know, I hand wave <laughs> a little bit. And I thought he would get the picture. And um, yet he didn't. He Every time I go in there, he's... He's he's uh, stinking up the place. I, but we work out, I think, at the same time every day, the two of us. Yeah. And so I'm always with BO guy or TV guy. Oh, man. I know. It's yeah, home gym. Okay. Another another gym. Another gym gripe. Okay. I got I got two more. Uh, one is is another one is grunting. Yeah. When you're in the when you're in the gym, do you have people grunting sometimes? See, I just think that I'm coming to a point where I just hate people like and I'm just going to have to get I'm going to work from home and get an elliptical and just have delivery because this is the kind of stuff that I feel like I cannot tolerate about people just like like getting there like well, wait in the air well that oh what you just God. did is totally tolerable I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm walking on the on the um, or running on the on the treadmill mostly walking let's just be honest. And all of a sudden, one grunt, you know, it's that one rep the guy really needs to get some juice on. And, <laughs> and no, no, it's like, <laughs> oh, and I'm no, like, no way. And it scares the crap yes. out of me because no, I feel like, okay. I feel like, you know, Godzilla has arrived or something and it, it, I jump, you know, and, and I'm just thinking, really? Like, you know, no. And it's so, or, or lead up to it, like do some buildup grunts so i know it's coming you know <laughs> yeah, just, the other thing is is slamming the weights yeah you know, that's, that's the other thing which is related to that which I, I i was so there was a couple in there working out with me and the gal was on the treadmill next to me and the guy was behind me uh just slamming the weights i mean i turned around and looked at him he was doing the the leg thing and he he pushed and then he would basically just release oh my god the weights and they would go wham i mean the loudest noise and there's two things to this. One is is that again, it's really oh, three things. It's really startling and annoying, and it's basically like taking a bat to my head every time he's doing it. Do you have a noise sensitivity? Um, I might, maybe. I learned that like emotionally sensitive people are like sensitive to noise and heat and cold more. Huh. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. This the second thing is is that it can break the machine. The third thing is is we have a Facebook page in this building mm-hmm. and the guy who lives right next to the gym will frequently say, Stop slamming the goddamn weights. Oh my God. And so I'm just really worried about this guy, you know, because you imagine living next to a gym oh while while that's happening. Anyway, end of my gripe. Uh, let's do a couple more tougher bluffs. I'm trying to think if I have any yoga grapes. Yeah, I feel well. Don't peep, don't women queef sometimes? Oh my god! If I ever heard someone queef, I would I wouldn't be able to hold it in. I would just start laughing as loud as I possibly could, and I would just it, I would ruin the class. There's I, but, no way I couldn't ruin the class. I, I totally heard that that there's a certain <laughs> yoga position actually that will just suck the air in, <laughs> and then the next position you're in is gonna push it out. 
there's a lot of stuff that goes on with the human body and yoga. That's like, and I am from a very, you know, when I was young, I knew like of hippies and yoga and fufu that was like totally separate from my life. And now I'm like that more than I've ever been in my life. But I'm still that person that can see it from the outside where I'm just like, this is, I'm like, this is weird. You know, the stuff we do is weird. But, you know, it's like, it seems weird to me. So so you're saying back in the day, you couldn't have imagined being in a room with a bunch of hippies on the verge of a queef. Just yoga, yeah, queefing, queefing hippies. A new, a new fiddle band from Seattle. <laughs> uh, okay, tougher bluff. The average U.S. psychotherapist has been in therapy for 13 months. Oh, my God. So the average length of time yeah. for the average, you know, U.S. therapist. I think that's... I think that's tough because I think that that's like the timeline of a major crisis. <laughs> Thirteen months. Well, you got another one wrong. Oh Paulette. my god! It's, it's five point seven years. What? Yeah, which that's is so expensive. Which is somewhat higher than the worldwide average, and I would say for myself, that's pretty close, actually. So that yeah, makes me feel better. Yeah. All uh, right, another one. The, the average U.S. psychotherapist has seen two therapists in the course of their life. Uh, at the time of this survey. Oh, do you know what I mean? So, so some people are novice and some are experienced, but the average U.S. psychotherapist has seen two therapists. Tough In five years? Uh, well, the average is five years. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say tough. Come on, please give me this one right. It's tough. You're yes. right. You got one right. Good job. And that's about the same worldwide as well. And I've seen more than two therapists. I think I've I have seen. a good question because that reminds me that it's like usually you try someone and if you don't like them... You go somewhere else, but there's only a tolerance for so much of that. Like my friend went to somebody for six weeks and then didn't like him. And he's like, just didn't want to go over that hump again with someone new. Hmm. So I think that you can, you'll do that either zero or one time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, for me, that was true. I went to a therapist once and didn't really connect and went somewhere else. But uh, I've, I've seen five or six therapists in in my lifetime. All right, one more. Among psychotherapists worldwide, South Korean therapists are the least likely to have been to therapy. Among psychotherapists around the world, therapists in South Korea are the least likely to have been in therapy. I'm going to say tough. It's tough. You're right. Only 36 have been to therapy. 36%. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> 36% of South Korean therapists have been to therapy. That is very, very low. Yeah. I had a friend who lived in South Korea, and she was saying that it was like a very, just like, you had to have your shit together. You know, like, it was very competitive and kind of just like external. And, you know, I don't know. It just seems like from what she told me that it seemed like that might be true. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, there were interesting differences between countries, you know, Israel, France, Japan, Australia. And I encourage you to read that chapter by Orlinsky et al. I, I, I got to look up the name. <laughs> this is terrible. Uh, I will look it up right now. It is. It's in the book, The Psychotherapist's Own Psychotherapy. That's a very clunky name for a book. The psychotherapists own psychotherapy. Yeah. I would think you'd want to go with therapy for psychotherapists. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a very, it's published in 05. And the uh, chapter is called The Prevalence and Parameters of Personal Therapy in Europe and Elsewhere by Orlinsky and Ronstad and others. 
both these people, Orlinsky and Ronstad, I am connected with. There's sort of a Facebook for academics mm-hmm. called Research ResearchGate. It's called researchgate.com. And I am friends with these guys because they are researchers in areas that I am interested in, which has to do with therapists and their their own personal lives and how stressed they get and the difficulties they have with clients and that kind of stuff. And so I saw that they had published this and I asked him for the chapter and he sent it to me and it was kind of fun for me. That's nice. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. If you would like to contact us and yell at me about gentrification on Capitol Hill, you can email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com or you can go to psychologyinseattle.com and click on the contact us form bit there. You can also donate. There's been some more people donating lately. Let me actually just mention some people who have donated just just so I can... uh, uh, reward them with a little shout out. We have listener David, we have listener Catherine, we have listener William, listener Will, we have listener Brian. All these people have donated, and someone actually even said that they would like to do like a monthly pr- prescription or something, which subscription, subscription. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, that was one of your patients. <laughs> <laughs> and so that makes sense to me that someone would give a small amount every month. Uh, so thanks to those listeners who, who, who donated, that's the easiest and, or <laughs> that's the most effective way you can show your love for the podcast. Cause it actually pays for our bills, which there are some, there's some small bills and I have yet to make back the money that I've, that I've put into it. Also listener Adam, uh, contributed as well. So anyway, uh, that does it for another episode of psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us and please take care of yourself. Bye. And don't stink up the gym, please. Or put on some deodorant, people. Deo for my B.O. Yo.